0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Fight Gravity Show. It's John, and here today, a very good friend and special guest of mine, Mary Esther Miranda Gilbert. That's a little bit of tongue twister. Say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Esther and I, we kind of go back to our kajukenbo days. That's um, a martial art to keep you to keep things short. Uh, And she had an extensive background in nutrition. And I was kind of really curious about nutrition for a lot of variety of reasons. I go into a little bit of that in the previous episode on kind of my history. So you can check that out. Um, So like back when we were training, I kind of asked a lot of questions. And it's amazing what you can learn, especially with, with someone with her extensive background and experience, by asking one or two questions a week over five years. So by asking this wonderful woman one or two questions a week over the course of five years, I managed to learn a lot more than the average person about like nutrition, even more so I think on a different level than what the average trainer like focuses on when they just really hyper focus on macronutrient ratios, which I'm not like condescending, but it's, it's really important, right? Too much of anyone's substrate causes issues, but again, she can go into more detail to that than me (laughs) Um, so yeah she's been like a wonderful friend mentor of mine Uh, she's been like a second mother as well she uh, first started her nutritional science degree in southern california years ago life happened uh, she ended up going to the clayton college in natural health and has a master's degree in naturopathic nutrition she has gone on to research her different uh, nutritional healing protocols using a variety of plants, herbs and purified water and a lot of, a lot of different things that's hard to explain in just a short introduction. So hopefully she'll go into that. She also went on later later in life also completed her well, basically dietetics degree. Um And so I'll I'll give it over to Esther and she can go into more detail about like her background, knowledge and training. And we'll just kind of go from there.
1: Well, sounds good. Thanks for the introduction, John. Yes, we have. We've known each other since you were 13 years old. And so I watched this uh, gentleman here turn into this fabulous, amazing, gentleman and uh it was a pleasure it's been a pleasure to follow his life saga all these years so I've been there with him all the way you know we've been confiding each other for years and uh we were martial arts uh, buddies and so yeah and I'm an uh, it's an honor for you to think of me as your second mother and uh you know that's awesome I mostly think of you as a friend but uh, you're like <coughs> excuse me you're like another son you know so uh it's really cool uh being friends and uh being family with you, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, yeah, I started out with a dietetics degree back in 79, right? I was just uh, going for that, and like you said, life happened, and I ended up years later completing that degree with a a bachelor's in nutrition science, but along the way, I found the uh, holistic college, and I learned more from the holistic education that I received, which I eventually got a bachelor's and a master's with. Uh, and and uh, I actually learned how to heal nutritionally. So that's one thing that the typical dietetics curriculums do not teach. And I thought it was more important to learn how to be a healer rather than just a simple nutritionist and not to knock the nutritional industry. But when you delve into the scientific literature for 40 years, the way I have, just so that I could look up uh, and substantiate the nutritional healing protocols that I had for clients that kept coming to me with all these different health issues. So I was able to dive into the scientific literature and I was so uh, impressed by how much science has been done on the things that we eat or the, uh, the ancient medicinals you know, that have been around for thousands of years. So when you put together all of that and you see the results, then you know that the indigenous thousands of years of empirical knowledge that's been gathered from generation to generation, And when science uh, works on that and evaluates and compares that and you have the same results, whether it's from the scientific literature uh, that that shows proof or evidence of, uh, you know, whether it's a botanical or food that we eat. So you're putting together a whole nutritional protocol for people based on science, but also backed by thousands of years of indigenous use. So that's where I kind of uh, deviated from the typical dietetics uh, curriculum. So that was, uh, that, that's been fun doing that. You know, it's really great to see the results.
0: Awesome. I know you you, you mentioned when you were at the Clayton College of Natural Health, um, how you also, like, learned to research. And learning to research has helped you to uh, substantiate uh, what you do. The reason behind your madness. Um, could you go into a little bit more detail on kind of what that process was? So when you were going through the bachelor's and, and the master's, and what was the, like, what were they doing? What were they emphasizing as, as yes. far as like the research and how to do it? and
1: Yeah, actually it started when I went back to finish the dietetics degree, but I changed it to nutrition science. That was a lot more interesting because I got to dive into the scientific literature. We had to put out uh, you know scientific papers all the time. We had to research every week and we had to uh, learn how to use the, the system that way. So uh, when it came to 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 teaching people, my clients, how to choose the right foods and, and to uh, educate them as far as what the scientific literature showed of the different botanicals and how it applied to their health issues. So when I put all those together, then uh, I found that that was much more effective. So um, when I had gone back to finish the nutrition science degree instead of the dietetics degree, I was actually... It was an online thing, right? Uh, by then schools were putting out online courses. So it was a, a distance thing. So I was on, uh, online a lot and in the chat rooms and the student chat rooms, the instructors would give us uh, different assignments, right? And we would have to discuss it in, that, in those forums. And I found that my PhD and master's degree instructors would email me personally and ask me how to solve their health issues. And this was a nutrition science uh, curriculum, you know, comparable to the dietetics yeah. curriculum. So this was Western medicine's uh, kind of uh, instruction, you know, college education. But I found that I have got, had already gone far beyond that kind of curriculum. Uh, so I was uh, pulling out all these scientific data and posting it, and I was blowing their minds. <laughs> I was creating waves, which I tend to do anyway. I mean, don't get me in a room with a, a Western medical doctor because there's going to be uh, some discussion, to put it lightly. And it never fails. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. You know, it, it would be great if you could go into like a little bit detail on your vetting process for research. Um, and just kind of people kind of get an idea from your perspective of what good quality research is. Because too often people just cite epidemiological studies and it's like, it's not really the best form of evidence and people don't understand that. They just kind of get a tagline and this study shows this. And then people, this is where freak, people freak out about stuff like nightshades. Um, but then a lot of the stuff on the, like the nightshade research has been just like like done on potatoes, you know? So then it like, it, it, it brings this different dynamic. So it's like, do you really need to like stay away from nightshades the whole time? Or is it like 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 maybe you're eating too much potatoes and how they're cooked and we can keep going with like like what else are the compounding variables um, but anyway going just into a little bit you're like your thought process you're looking at research like what is what are the markers of like good quality research
1: very good question i'm sh- i'm so glad i want to give a class on how to do your research properly so that you don't get misinformation As you know, when you look up something on a search engine, you're going to get all of this misinformation, you're gonna get tidbits, you're going to get um, people who are unqualified to to teach you how to solve your health issues using nutrition. Uh, So yeah, that is a real problem. So what I want to do is I want to show people how to do that. So whenever you want to, um, to look something up on the internet, always type in the words science journal after your search phrase. That way, it bypasses all of the amateur stuff out there, all the misinformation out there, and you'll get uh, a whole list of all of the different scientific um, studies that have been done on any particular subject. So, if you want proof, uh, you want to have scientific studies that have been reviewed by peer, uh, you know, experts that are qualified to evaluate all these different studies that have been done on any particular subject. You know, so. Um, you want to, to look at these scientific studies and make sure that there are no conflicting interests. So every scientific study that's been done, you have to kind of skim down on the study and see where it says no conflict of interest. And that means no one's been paid off to, um, to give people the results that are only from, say, a corporation who wants a certain outcome, no matter what happens. So you know they're heavily influenced that way, a lot of them. But um, so, you, and, and it's also safer to have an array of scientific studies that have come to the same conclusion. So if you're testing the the medicinal properties of a particular botanical, then you want those studies to have the same conclusion. Some like take soy, for instance, that's been uh, very controversial for many years. In fact, I just did a report on soy where 25 years, there's been um, different scientific studies that have been analyzing soy, and looking at the outcomes, there have been animal studies. There have been in vitro, which means all pure laboratory petri dish kinds of studies, where they examine cells, or in vivo subjects. You've got animal, uh, you know, animals or or human subjects. That so they put all these together for you. And so when you see a peer-reviewed study, you're going to see all of the different studies that they they selected that are the best studies, that were the most um, credible studies, the the most uh, the best uh, methods that they use to come to their research conclusions. So those are the kinds of things that people need to uh, to understand that is the, the most credible thing we can do right now is to look at uh, an array of studies and a peer-reviewed study does it for us. so whenever you see the peer-reviewed listed up there then that way you know that they've taken sometimes these scientists will, will get together and they'll they'll pull out maybe a thousand different studies on something and they'll throw out you know 90 percent of them. For one reason or another, and then leave the most credible, uh, you know, research that that that's there for you to see. So those uh, peer-reviewed studies are the best ones. But yeah, it's all about the science. You have to know your science. Um, you know, people. I think everyone should take a physiology class, uh, a microbiology class, to know what's going on inside your inner universe, because that's where it's at. That's where health starts. That's where disease begins.
0: Do you, do you think it's worth looking at the papers that do have a conflict of interest so you can, like, get an idea what the narrative is, what they're trying to spin, where they're trying to go with it? Do you also think with some of these biased studies that maybe there might possibly be a grain of truth, despite the fact that there's the, the conflict of interest and bias could be a greater or lesser degree, depending on who's, like, funding it and
2: what their ultimate goal is?
1: Yes, if you see a corporation that is the funder of a, a, a study, then you want to stay away from those because those are pretty obvious. After you've examined some legitimate scientific studies and you have a team of researchers, especially when you look at studies that have been done in different parts of the world, India, you know, the, the Middle East even, and uh, the United States and China and the whole Asian you know, Pacific Rim, you have all these universities from all over the world who are also studying a particular uh, botanical. Then uh, you'll see either they came to, their, to the same conclusion or they didn't. So, so then you look at who funded the study. You know that's pretty much says it all because once you get uh, used to seeing these legitimate studies, you'll see their process. They'll be very intricate and in, in describing how they arrived at their at their conclusion at the end of the study. But uh, they'll list. In very much detail, they'll list their charts and graphs. They'll they'll do meta studies, which is all statistical, mathematical. You know, they feed information in a computer, and it uh, it all spits out. And it will will list uh, you know what the percentages are uh, of what influence uh, one factor had on on another. I mean, it gets very very intricate. You know, it's hard to explain all in one sentence, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you once you get used to seeing that, you don't have to understand all of the, the terminology or uh, their processes on how they arrived at it. But the, the abstract at the beginning and the discussion toward the end and the conclusion is something that you might want to start out with if you're not used to the scientific jargon, but you will get used to it over time. And then uh, if you do see a, a study that was conducted by paid off you know, by some corporation for a specific outcome, no matter what, so that they can tout it as being a scientific study, and, and you know that kind of thing, and you can see right through it because they're so banal and they're so bland, they're so uh, simplistic. and the conclusions that they come to are sometimes bordering on absurdity, because when you uh, compare it to one of the legitimate studies, you'll see how much more intricate it is. And you know usually they have a whole team of researchers, maybe five or six, maybe twenty researchers that list their names on the study itself. So yeah, you'll be able to tell the difference.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm wondering, what do you view on like meta-analyses? Because a lot of a lot of other people that try to, um, like it, in health and fitness, that also are, are, I think, trying to honestly present good information to people, they they, they talk about the efficacy of a meta-analysis. So I'm, I'm wondering like what you view, like what's your view on it in just in terms of, the credibility, the lack of credibility, generally feeling good about it, any issues you have seen? Meta analysis
1: are even more detailed than the comprehensive research studies that are conducted, and they are much more credible because whenever you compile data, you'll be able to see the numbers. You know, how many milligrams did it take of this particular phytochemical compound of this plant to... um, to destroy cancer cells or to reverse uh, any kind of of disease. So uh, that's important. You know, you want to look at the numbers as well. So a meta study will give you a much better idea. You'll see the graph, you know, one factor versus another. You'll be able to make the comparison at a glance. Uh, You know, there's just, uh, I don't don't even get into much in the, the meta studies because they're just mathematically advanced, you know. So all you can do is just look at the graphs and um, you know, just get what you can out of it because they're very, very advanced mathematics.
0: <laughs> they are. So, it's, it's really intense. <laughs>
1: yeah, if you've seen those, that's yeah, like yeah. what? <laughs> I didn't take calculus, so yeah. Yeah. But yeah.
0: yeah, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with the math, although it's been a while since I've done math or or I've like calculated p-values and other stuff like that. But I'm I'm familiar with the concept. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I definitely, when someone else is presenting like in a meta-analysis, for example, on YouTube, I'm definitely kind of all ears to see what their kind of take is on it and everything like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. They've analyzed the study to death, really. And so there's no question. Math doesn't lie, you know, the numbers are the numbers.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. But there's other ways to manipulate the numbers, but I feel like that's a discussion for another day.
1: That's true, that's true. At that level, however, by the time a study qualifies for a meta study, there are a lot of uh, people looking at it to evaluate it and make sure that it, it is. Uh, so, yeah, people can put out pseudo studies and try to impress you with all these different numbers and say it's a meta study.
2: But yeah.
1: um, I think if you've compared the two long enough, then you can tell.
0: Awesome. So maybe we can like roll back the clock a little bit to after you finish like your um, holistic your holistic nutrition education that bachelor's and and master's and like naturopathic nutrition and, and that holistic perspective, you've graduated from that. And kind of what was your, what was your process like developing like the nutritional protocols? Like how many years did it take you to develop like, um, I guess, like a basic framework of like what that would like helped people like healing, like, like researching sources, just like, can you give like an overview on on this process? You've had your education, you want to help people like nutritionally, and how are you just kind of, how are you laying your your foundation as a uh, practitioner?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the, um, the real comprehensive nutritional healing protocols didn't start until 1994, and I had started my Dietetics curriculum in '79, so I was doing, you know, just uh, diets for for people up until that point. So when I finished my the rest of my holistic degree degrees, I started when it, I opened up my practice in Northern California, and so I moved my family to Northern Cal, and I opened up my practice and I started receiving clients with all of these different health ailments. You know, it's heart disease, arthritis. I mean, A through Z. I've got a three-page list of all uh, and two columns worth of the kinds of health ailments that I had with my clients. And I solved every one of them because of the, the in-depth uh, research that I did into the scientific literature. So I learned a lot about these botanicals that I'd never even heard of, that they don't teach you in the typical dietetics or even nutrition science degrees, you know, uh, curriculum. So um every time I got a client, I would just look up what was in the scientific literature and I would pull out all these different botanicals for a specific set of of ailments. And I would put together a comprehensive, I'd print everything out just to show them the science as to uh, what made me choose particular botanicals. Then I would also search uh, online for companies that offered organic uh, high quality nutrient dense products that would match the science so I put all that together and they would come home with, you know, three inch thick notebooks of all the science that i would compiled for them just to justify. I also had them sign waivers so that the, um, you know, the big pharma uh, pharmaceutical drug lords wouldn't come and shut me down the way they were doing with so many other uh, holistic minded doctors and health food stores. And a company can even now a supplement company can be uh, closed down overnight. Because uh, because of uh, maybe an employee is, is uh, practicing medicine without a license. You know, it's just uh, prescribing supplements where you know, that's supposed to be taboo. But um, we can go off on that tangent in a while if you want.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had absolutely. some experience with
1: that. But yeah, basically, I just went into the scientific literature. I pulled out all the different things that would apply to their set of health conditions. And I found the supplements. And I recommended the supplements. I said, you don't have to buy them for me you can just use this as a, a you know a, something to refer to so go out and and don't get um, detracted and buy something else that someone who doesn't know hasn't done the research might sell to you and then hundred percent of the time they said no 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 you did all this research. I want to buy them from you you know kind of thing and when I was in college and I mentioned this to my some of my cor- my classes, the instructors always had a problem with that oh you know it's it's not ethical to to uh, charge your your clients, uh, you know, for nutritional supplements, and I said, "Well, oh, you know, they do it anyway." Obviously, whenever you go into a chiropractor's office, a nutritionist's office, who's uh, practicing outside of a hospital, they have their own set. Even gyms, you know, health clubs, they have their own sets of, of nutritional supplements. So it goes hand in hand because if you're not going to be consistent uh, in your diet. Then uh, you know you need the supplements, but you've got to have the right supplements. There's good and bad supplements, and we can go into that in a moment too. But um,
0: absolutely, but it's a lot of- I mean that that's such a, um, I mean it, it, it's such a loaded statement when people with this establishment say it's like like reckless to like recommend the supplements when it's like I mean, I mean it, it, it's reckless to have like pharmaceutical reps who are 18 years old with absolutely like zero science and they're barely out of high school and they're they're pushing pharmaceutical drugs on the doctors um, and there's documentaries on this and where doctors are not totally familiar and they're asking these reps with like zero science education yeah. uh, like oh how should I pre- how, you know what are my recommendations and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg so like that's okay but you know if we're like oh you, you know like I, I'd recommend a supplement with absorbable forms of calcium that are not going to stop your digestion and reduce hydrochloric acid production, that's re- <laughs> that—that's reckless.
1: Yeah, and that's just one <laughs> aspect, right? Yeah. The body has multiple trillions of biochemical processes, and that's just one thing. So when a doctor, when you see an infomercial about a doctor selling mm-hmm. a supplement, and you look at the ingredients, I always tell people, you know, don't try to try to have me endorse anything until I see the ingredients. And I have endorsed products before. In fact, I'm I'm endorsing two different uh, companies products right now being a spokesperson and, you know, just doing zoom calls and and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean a lot of medical doctors, Western medical doctors will try to sell one uh, isolated nutrient and just spout it as the best thing that that can heal this and can solve that. But um, you've got to have this incredible molecular synergy from multiple complexes that are in whole foods, in whole botanicals, you know. So that's what the body understands. One isolated nutrient can have this whole chain reaction, and your body looks for the rest of of this information that it knows is uh, is not complete. If you're giving your body a nutrient, it knows it's not complete, so it tries to delve into its own resources to complete the molecule, to complete a, a Bio, uh, bio, biochemical and biological process, you know, but doctors know this, they know that, but yet they they uh, capitalize on people's innocence, you know, and and, and uh, it makes me mad, you know, I just feel like calling them up and saying, hey, what are you doing, are you that ignorant, or are you greedy, or, you know, why are you doing this, you know, that it's not going to help these people, so yeah, I mean, when I put together those protocols, they were so thorough and so complete, and on top of the uh, nutritional supplements and the dietary system that I, that I, created um which is much more comprehensive than, than any any kind of diet out there then all the clients got well they got well if they implemented everything they got well without fail and so i got this reputation you know go to her she'll fix you but uh they had to implement it and those who didn't of course they fell short of
0: it so i'm i'm curious what what happens when someone is like like failing to implement and like, what are things like that you do that you feel like can help and help them respond? Um, what experience you have trying to positively like trigger them, help them to kind of like pivot and get them, get them to that point where they are. Cause I know just myself personally, when I'm re- making recommendations, sometimes it, it's kind of like, a, Oh, well, I Don't know, or they say like, "Yeah, okay," and then you follow up and like, "Oh well, well, I haven't really, you know, I tried, I tried this thing once, and it was okay, you know." So kind of just like, what, what, what are some things and strategies you do when people are just kind of like, like struggling and not executing?
1: This is why I spent three to six hours. I think the most time I've ever spent with a client was seven hours. You sit down with them and you get the information from them. And uh, of course, you do a lot of it ahead of time. So you can do your research. So when you sit down with them, you've got a lot of information. You've got most of the protocol set up for them. You sit down with them and you teach them. And they uh, you teach them, uh, you know, they'll tell you what you've been eating and you know just by what they've been eating, why they have the symptoms that they do. So when you sit down with them, you, you, you show them why they have, acquired this set of symptoms or this condition. And then you teach them about how their body works. I would show them charts from the, uh, the, the macro view of the, the different major you know, organs in the body. You see the skeleton, the muscles and all these different organs, you show them that. And then you go into the micro world and you show them what goes on inside of the cell. And you show them why the junk that they've been eating or whatever they've been giving their bodies has been altering the way their cells function at the micro level and how this, you know, the, the protocol that you recommend, why those compounds and why those nutrients, I would teach them what all the vitamins and minerals do for the body. And uh, it was a very comprehensive, you know, sit down session. And by the time that was up, uh, they were educated. And of course I would go over their notebook. I would compile everything, print everything out for them. And we would go over their notebook, you know. And so uh, by the end of the session or even halfway through, they would say, why didn't my doctor ever tell me this? Why didn't anyone ever tell me this? No wonder I've been sick. And so just by educating them, they become motivated because they understand now what's going on inside the body. If you don't know what's going on, how can you ever relate to it? You'll put anything just to satisfy hunger, right? Uh, uh, But uh, if you know how to nourish your body and give it the right molecules, vitamins, minerals, enzymes, uh, the molecular compounds that are in plants, those phytochemicals, those phytonutrients are just as important as any vital, essential vitamin mineral. And so, and, and you teach them how to, uh, in my system, I have 14 categories. So not only did I divide fruits and vegetables, I divided them into the types of fruits and different berries. Fruits and berries have different compounds that are good for you. And they do different things for your body and different types of vegetables too. Leafy greens and herbs are a lot different than the um the other types of vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower, you know, so I would separate those out in my system so that they would be sure to choose foods from each group every single day, just to ensure that they get the full range, the full array of all the essential nutrients that their bodies needed to get well and maintain their health. So it's a matter of education, you know, and uh, that's another thing I would bring up uh, in my, in my college courses with the groups, I would say, um, you know, you, you've got to educate and then they'll comply. And a lot of people would say, "Well, no, they're not going to listen. They don't know any better." You know, I'd say you underestimate people. They're desperate. They come to you because they're desperate. Uh, obviously, their prescription drugs didn't work, so it's the last resort. You know, okay, I'll go to a holistic practitioner. Maybe they'll heal me. Right? There's. I, I mean, I got clients who were so desperate that um, they sat down and they listened. They really listened, and then they actually did. And the compliance rate was pretty high. Okay. Um, you know, I would say 90% of the time.
0: Do you, do you find you have to make a lot of like individual adjustments with how you're like speaking to different people based just upon like who they are and how they process information and other, other factors like that?
1: Absolutely. When you sit down one-on-one with someone, you get to, um, you get to kind of read their, body language, their facial expressions, their uh, their attention span, even their intelligence, their education. And so you begin slowly, you know, I would sit them down and make them feel welcome. And I would begin asking them questions about their diet. And uh, as they progressed through telling me how they ate, you know, I would just, I wouldn't uh, say anything about judging them and telling them at that point, no, you shouldn't be eating that. You know, it was never to make them feel defensive or uncomfortable or intimidated ever. And so you get them back past that point and you sit down and you start edu- the education process. And that's when they start waking up. You can see it in their body language. You know, they start sitting up taller. They start leaning over and they start going, hmm, wow, you know, kind of thing. And those kinds of body language and, ex- and facial expressions, you tend to, uh, to pick that up after a while and you learn. And you see their eyes. You know, if you've been at it for a while and their eyes start get- getting glazed over, it's information overkill. You know, and you just stop and take a break. Oh, would you like some tea or would you like some, you know, whole grains, whatever? <laughs> and yeah. I would just uh, feed them because their brains, they probably didn't eat before they got there. Or I would sometimes uh, end up telling them, you know, make sure that you have a, a nice small meal before you come so that your brain can keep, you know, functioning and, and keep uh, processing information. So, yeah, it, it uh, depends on the person and you just kind of get a feel for these things after you've uh, done a few.
0: Hmm. I'm really curious about like your consultation. Um. And like three, four, five, like six hours. And have you, um, have you ever been able to kind of like, and I, having also been through it, it seems like it would be a difficult thing to take this and kind of create some sort of system out of it and kind of duplicate that. Um, have you been able to like really? duplicate like a significant portion of this process. So you have like, just like, okay, boom. Yeah, and you have the content and people, it, it's like they're almost going through the consultation themselves. Have you been able to like have something like this? Are you working towards it or are you working like a different angle or? Well, yeah,
1: um, everyone is different. And so you do have to work with them and, and uh, interact with them at, at that level, you know, and, and uh, see how they're coming along, see how they're learning. And uh, I, I'm answering your question. I'm not sure. Am, am I going the right direction here?
0: Um, like, so I'm just curious, like, um, how close can you can you get to really kind of duplicating this consultation process?
1: Oh, okay. Thanks. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I developed that, that 14 category food choice system, nutritional synergy, so that they could, I, could sit, I sat down with them and I showed them how to use the system. I'd say, okay, for breakfast, uh, let's pick some uh, a well-balanced meal, you know, protein category, fats category, carbohydrates, um, medicinal foods, spicy foods, um, you know, dairy or non-dairy products, um, water was always uh, right there. That's the food group in my system because that is, other than oxygen, is the most important nutrient you can give your body. And so right across the board, I would help them make meals so that they could learn how to use the system. And their meal choices were as varied as their health issues, you know, and their tastes their and preferences. Um, most of them were willing to try new fruits and vegetables that they'd never tried in their lives before, you know, so we put that into their, their meal planning. And so, um, and, and it's funny because people would understand the, the the system, but yet when it came down to choosing their, their foods for their meals, they were at a loss. So I would help them hold their hand, you know, and help them choose the right foods so that they could put together meals that they liked. You know, so yeah, I mean, that didn't take too long to learn either. So they were really happy with being uh, able to do that. And then they turned around and influenced other people in their family Especially when they saw the health transformations that these people underwent, you know, and uh, so then other people they were able to inspire and influence everyone else, even those close to
0: them. And I know now you're, of course, you're a published author, and you have a couple. You have a couple books, like a few, I guess now. Um, and you have like one on nutritional supplements, and you have like your other one, like um, I don't remember the. I, I should remember the name. I've read it a couple times. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but That's you have tricky. your, yeah, but you have your other book, uh, you know, like nutritional, like wellness, if people just like read kind of these two books, does that like cover pretty much most of what you would like do in your consultations?
1: Well, the first two, I think the, the two that you're talking about, like you said, how to select the right nutritional supplements and, uh, the first book that was the second, that was the second book, actually the first book I wrote is uh, transform your health, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, master your health, trans- transform your life. And uh, gosh, I can't even remember it right now anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a while since I even looked at it. It's been on sale for what, four or five years now? S- something like offered. that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I went on to writing other books. Uh, there's one that uh, will teach the athlete how to gain more physical power by eating certain foods and learning when to time your, your meals so that you're, um, you're recuperating properly. You know, all those all the things that people, that athletes need to pay attention to, anyone actually, you know, you don't ever want to run a, a nutrient deficit in your body. That way you won't be able to function very, very as well as you should. Um, but then I went on to write this 531 page book for uh, another company for their products. But now I'm repurposing it so that I can market it to the rest of the world and not just to that company's uh, uh, associates, you know, or distributors of those products. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went on to write a couple of other books too, and so, you know, there's a, I, I I'm writing a book right now, I'm actually updating it, I started writing it years ago and I published it, but I'm, I've never been happy with it, so right now I'm rewriting it because a medical doctor wants to introduce it to uh, her staff and, and their patients, they want to teach them about nutrition, so she saw what I can do on, on one Zoom call describing another book, so she said, do you have a nutrition book? I said, absolutely, Yes. So I'm uh, rewriting that one, the Nutritional Synergy System. That's the system that I created, and that's what I call it. So I'm writing a whole book on the system itself. And it really delves into not just what to eat. You know, there's so much more to a person's health. And so uh, I just delved into all the different aspects of what it takes to be totally healthy
2: in that book. Awesome. Mm, there, there's a lot of different ways we can go with this. Um, so let's, let's continue the timeline then. So you, um, people were coming to you with a lot of different like issues. Uh, so this kind of forced your hand kind of to do more research and innovate your own protocols based upon the skills you've acquired in research. So people would come and like research it. And here's a protocol, you see how they respond. You see a very, very high success rate. You, you document this. So, yes. um, so how long how long was this like how long was this going going on? You said you started in like
1: 1994. Yeah, uh the first uh like I said as a as a dietetics uh you know, nutritional science tendency back in 79, which is when I had my first customer, but then when I um when I got into the holistic college, I started my practice in 92 after I would acquired the two degrees. So yeah, I mean every every different uh, every client was different, so it was a challenge every single time. But after a few years went by, um, of course I kept the protocols. You know, if someone had a certain kind of, of ailment, then I would pull out that protocol and just adjust it. You know, it didn't take me as long to compile. It used to take me eight to ten hours to compile a protocol for a client, and so um, after a number of years, you know, I could put together one that was. As comprehensive, but it didn't take as long because I had a lot of the information already done. And sometimes I would have to update what the science had found on something. You know, there's always new science that's being, um, you know, published out there. There are literally thousands of scientific journals and even more, hundreds of thousands of scientific, uh, you know, pu- published papers on all these different studies. So yeah, it was always evolving and always changing.
2: Okay. And that's, that's great that you're able to document your process and just kind of make small changes as, as you go. And so you were doing this for a while. So you already, once you went and finished your nutritional science degree, it was like, what, 2010?
1: Yeah. Started,
2: 2010.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I started the dietetics degree in 74. No, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was about 74. Who knows? <laughs> um But then when I went back to finish that degree, it was uh, 2008 or 2009, and I finished it in 2010. So, you know, it was hit and miss. I couldn't do it full time, so I was just going for it at the last stretch. And so I I changed it to a nutrition science degree instead of the clinical dietetics. So I took all the same classes as uh, dietetics majors did. And so, but nutrition science was much more interesting. Because it got into the molecular structures of things, what's really going on at the
2: micro level for people's health, you know. Well, and at <laughs> that point, you already had so much experience, like, practically helping people. You had been helping people with different protocols for, at that point right. for, what, 20 or 30 years already? Yeah, yeah. Live and like just others. based on,
1: on <laughs> so what like, I <laughs>
2: finishing that, you're like, you've kind of already been, been doing Um, And I I think a lot of people in in your position when they already would have had kind of all this experience and success at like helping people change their lives with like a plethora of nutritional protocols, they'd be like, why am I going, why am I going back, I've been Already doing this for a while, really successfully, as well as having like well documented research. So if another professional asks me, I can send them a link. Here's straight to the study. So like why, like why even, why why do this? What was the
1: well,
2: what was the reason?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so that's a great question. I wanted a a degree that was from a regionally accredited typical college, okay, on top of the holistic college, because what happened to the holistic college, it got shut down, and I suspect it was from the pharmaceutical drug lords that shut it down, because they were shutting, they still, you know, shut everybody down, Uh, the FDA Mm -hmm. laws are so ridiculous, you can hardly say anything about any kind of nutritional supplement or a botanical, on, uh, you know, how your body processes it and, and improves uh, how it functions, you know, that kind of thing. So you really have to understand the language. And I've learned that language over the years because I've uh, actually had to uh, rewrite descriptions on a website for one company. And recently I redid some labels for another company because they are uh, started out in Germany and they don't know the, the, the jargon for the FDA laws here in the United States. So I had to create templates for their labels. I mean, after you've done it a while, you can pretty much... Uh, you know, rewrite everything just to comply. But it's kind of silly because you can only say, well, you know, uh, it, it, it helps already already healthy and already functioning, um, you know, health. And, and I mean, that bland, okay, you can't go into the specifics. And so, you know, I what I write is I substantiate everything I say with scientific research. That way, it's not me saying that a botanicals, pharmace- pharmaceutical properties, uh, heal any kind of ailment. <laughs> it's not me saying that, I'm just quoting what the scientific literature says, right? So that's how I write. That's how I, I uh, present everything I do because I'm not a medical doctor, so they can't shut me down. you know, I don't even uh, I don't even go there, you know, kind of thing. I used to always protect myself by having my clients sign waivers saying that they knew I was not a medical doctor, that I was doing research for them just so that they could uh, understand how to make better health choices, better nutrition choices. And so that's how we went with it all those years.
0: Awesome. And so after you, after you complete that, um, how does like kind of your, your career and purpose, like shift from that point?
1: Yeah, I retired my practice after 30 years, moved to Arizona. And so I started writing, you know, I started writing articles, uh, I tried to start a magazine, but I didn't really have time to run it. You know, so I have a ton of articles that I wrote. That sometimes I just uh, educate people with. I can do a seminar on every article I've ever written alone. Um, mm-hmm. So I started a YouTube, you know, channel, and uh, I started an online school, which I'm still developing courses for to uh, to uh, just educate the public so that they know what's going on inside their bodies and they can make uh, intelligent, educated. Choices and not be intimidated by Western medicine and are any uh, doctor who tries to tell them that those things aren't useless. I had a doctor tell me in a hospital once that uh, I was visiting a relative there, and the doctor said, "Well, there isn't any scientific uh, research to back up what you're saying." And I said, "Well, let me tell you, there is. There are thousands of of scientific journals and even more scientific papers that will substantiate everything that I just told you." Because I wanted to. to give my relatives certain uh, herbs, right? To help facilitate their recovery much more quickly. But, um, and so the doctor was avoiding me after that. Every time I saw him in the hallway, he would literally turn around 180 degrees and take off down the hall. He would would not uh, face me after that. I don't know if he he realized, okay, I can't really like to this person. She knows more than I do, (laughs) probably. I don't know why. But see, I've had encounters with physicians like this. I've had heated discussions with physicians um, with uh, things like this because they are so clueless. They are not taught how to heal nutritionally. And that's the first thing that the body looks for is these essential nutrients and these compounds that botanicals offer. That's the only way the body can heal itself and to uh, restore its functioning. So eating right is the most important thing a person can do to uh, transform their health. And it's not just their physical health. They are, it changes your whole biochemistry, your hormonal chemistry, how you perceive it, and, uh, you and know, your cognitive abilities, your learning abilities, your, your, your intelligence seems to uh, open up. You know, It's like it's lying dormant and all of a sudden it just turns on some switches in the DNA and the genetic code of instructions, right, in your in every single cell in your body. And so um, you see people transform their health and make different life choices. Their, their whole lives change,
2: you know. Awesome. Uh, maybe, maybe we can start to go into more a little bit detail on some, like, different food groups. I wanted to start with kind of your take on fruit. Because, like, in this day and age, like, fruit has kind of become controversial. Um. I do I, I do cycle carbohydrates. Um, there's kind of reason to my madness. There's also kind of like supply and quality issues with where I'm at in the world. So there's a lot of different um, unique challenges for me, like being where I'm at and how I have to do things. Um, with that said, um, when I do when I do increase my carbohydrate intake generally speaking, I respond really well when I'm cycling in fruits and increasing those versus other carbohydrates. Like with that said, um, there's a lot of different statements thrown around about fruits. Um, They're sweeter than they are today. Um, Oh, they're, they're modified. Uh, A lot of people don't always talk about insecticides and pesticides with fruits. Um, They don't, always talk about like the the supply chain and how that affects the enzymes in the fruits. Um, They don't talk about the natural degradation of vitamin C. They don't talk about how fiber metabolizes sugar. Um, Sometimes like one quote doctor says fruits like can swell the kidneys. Um, But when he says that again, there's not other, this like, nuance on like, where's the fruit from? Is it organic? Is it not organic? Is it genetically modified? Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling asking the question. Maybe you could just like, kind of like talk more about like, like fruit and quality, like quality of fruit. Um, and what are like some good things that, that can like bring us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I know where you're going with this, I think. So yeah, there's, oh gosh, this is great. So um, fruit is just one food that's been genetically modified. Not all fruit, but you have something like uh, papayas. um, Gosh, I can't even think of any fruit really. I know potatoes and other vegetables have been genetically modified. And what that means is they insert the um, insecticide that inside, inside the DNA of the plant. So it becomes part of their genetic makeup, and so the theory is to make those foods resistant to the uh, the pesticides, right, and not destroy the plant. And these pesticides, of course, are so toxic, and you know that's another tangent we can go on. But as as far as the um, the quality of the fruit, when you have a, an organic environment, when you grow food in a nutrient rich uh, environment, then it, it looks the soil looks a lot different than the typical row by row kind of planting that uh, the big agricultural, uh, you know, corporations do. So, uh, and, and then they, their, their, soil, their soil, it's not even soil, it's dirt, it's lifeless, nutrient-less dirt. And the only reason these plants that are grown in those conditions have vitamins is because of the, the, uh, the phytosynthesis process. You know, the vitamins are formed from the sun, basically. So uh, that's how vitamins are formed. But as far as the mineral content, the essential minerals, that are so important for health, uh, you know. If you if you're short on min, if you're deficient on minerals, then there will be mineral deficiency diseases uh, and even vitamin de- deficiency diseases. So, when a plant is grown in a nutrient rich environment, that is, they not only amend the soils with nutrients that are non toxic and uh, use methods that aren't uh, toxic, you know, uh, they can have maybe a pesticide, but it would be. A food-based or enzyme-based or some other kind of botanical-based, uh, you know, a spray that they put on there, and that's not toxic to humans or animals or the environment. But these other synthetic pesticides that the big agricultural companies use, they are 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 linked to all sorts of diseases. You know, we can go into them here, but um, they all the different diseases that affect the immune system, the brain and nervous system, and all these different organ systems. The digestive system—they alter the genetic code, the instructions that run your body. It alters the genetic code in your body, so that uh, that's how diseases are born. That's how cells become mutated into something that can form into cancers or tumors, you know, things like that. So you've got this whole chain reaction of problems when you're in, uh, when you're ingesting foods that were are genetically modified or sprayed with all these different uh, pesticides and herbicides. So they uh, wreak havoc in the body. They don't belong in there. They're not nutrients. They're not protecting you at all. They're not uh, producing more food. So the whole industry is just, uh, for whatever reason, they're lying to the public. Uh, You know, there's so many things wrong with that. It's not even funny. Uh, But as far as the organic industry goes, they're nourishing the soils. They're improving the environment. They are retaining uh, nutrients and and drawing wildlife to complete the habitat to further, uh, you know, uh, improve the, the whole ecology that contributes to nourishing soil and therefore you're going to have more mineral rich foods, you're going to have more um, um, foods that are, are high in these phytochemical compounds that have been, I mean there's thousands of phytochemical compounds in all these different uh, fruits and, and other foods um, but you know fruits are very are very popular with people because they're sweet and they satisfy they pick you up uh, You know, they'll keep you going and, until you get a, a good meal in you so uh, they contain so many different phytochemical compounds that are so beneficial. You know, anti-cancer, antiviral, antifungal, anti anti anti-everything, you know, anti-arthritic, um, uh, help your body balance the blood sugars, uh, you know, everything. They just, it's just amazing. And like I said, science has discovered about 25,000 phytochemical compounds in our foods alone and other plants out in nature. And I'm uh, building a, da- a database of phytochemicals, by the way, and it's in one of my books and it's like a 200-pager, you know, inside the 500-page book. But uh, I'd like to build on that phytochemical database so that people can and just publish a book on that alone so people can understand what's in their fruits and other foods.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when people talk about um, anti, anti-nutrients and other hard-to-break-down plant compounds um, in, in fruits and vegetables, um, they're not always talking about, like, these phytonutrients. And it's like when people are saying that. I mean, I happen to know someone, i.e., like yourself, who's like extensively studying like these phytonutrients. Um, um, with that said, though, um, I, again, I, I do like the mantra, like be your own scientist and kind of try things for try things for yourself and see how you respond. Um, and there are certain things I. Um, when when I when I like take time and I'm really mindful, I I respond better. I mean, like for example, like phytates in uh, nuts, uh, soaking them, soaking them and beginning to sprout, I tend to respond a little bit better than just in a raw, unsprouted form. Um, and soaking other things, for example, like beans to like reduce the lectin content. Again, I also, um, I tend to respond better. Other people talk about these like drive up inflammation like lectins and titates. Um Oxalates get into like a different, right? People, people talk more about oxalates, especially in terms of like cruciferous vegetables. Um, it seems like though there's a context for people to be very careful about cruciferous vegetables and the oxalate content. Um, regarding what's going on but I I, I think it's it's not a like a blanket statement um like like broccoli is great example um raw block broccoli doesn't always like sit too well with me but if I grate it this seems to break it down and it settles much better in my stomach Uh, same with cooked broccoli from what I understand cooking helps increase what the glucosinolates, which is like an antioxidant. Um, I'm not sure what cooking does in terms of like the sulfur compounds existent in broccoli, but like that's another example. Like, so another friend of mine, um, he, he like, so raw cru- cruciferous vegetables, he, he doesn't like respond well. And there's a lot of um, like digestive issues.
1: Yes. Very good. You're asking awesome questions, John. It's just uh, great. (laughs) It gets me going. But yeah, okay, so this is great. Um, So when a person has a lot of body enzymes from eating raw enzyme active food, then these catalysts will help break things down. And it will also, um, it's important to chew your foods completely thoroughly. When you're taking in raw broccoli, Those That fiber is one of the toughest fibers to break down in the gut. That's the kind of fiber that's not digestible, but um, it sweeps you out. It cleans you out so that you don't get colon cancer, you know, or any kind of other, um, any type of obstructions. So it's important to chew your food properly, especially vegetables like that. And if you're eating an enzyme active diet, like we're talking about fruits, the tropical fruits are high in enzymes that help, uh, help break down some of these tougher uh, things to, to, that, that go in the stomach and that move through and sometimes cause a lot of gastric upsets. But these enzymes will prevent a lot of those phytochemical compounds that are being released and help break them down so that they don't create this gaseous you know, atmosphere in there. So you know, you've, when you cook something like broccoli or spinach or anything that has the oxalates or the phytates or anything like that, then if you're, if you're supplementing your diet with other types of foods, that's why my system is so great because you've got to choose from a wide array of foods and half of them should be in the form of raw, enzyme active, and uh, also getting into the physics of it, the light energy active, the light that's stored in those raw foods as well. That light is also very important for your health too. Our cells are little energy packs and they require light energy as much as they do the, the physical nutrients, Okay. So that's another discussion. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to have raw vegetables, chopping them up is much easier because they're smaller. You know, sometimes people chew and they don't have, they, they swallow things that are too large and they're going to cause too many gastric disturbances and pain. You know, if you swallow a stem of a broccoli an inch thick, that's going to hurt, right? Uh, <laughs> to
0: yeah.
2: First
1: action through your small intestine and the large intestine will move it through and it'll get broken down because the stomach acids are so acidic, Um, you know, and, and, but also the, the raw broccoli or cauliflower, any of the cruciferous vegetables, you know, Brussels sprouts, those are tough fibers. Um, They, uh, I mean, get your raw stuff from everything else. It's okay to eat the raw cruciferous if you can handle them and break them down into small pieces and chew them, you know, well, But yeah, they are a little hard on the stomach, so they're great in soups and stews. You know, you simmer them for a a period of time. Uh, Even even if you steam them for a few, few, like a couple of minutes, it's enough to soften them enough to break them down. But you've gotta have the raw enzymes from other foods in your diet. That's what really helps break them down. And then you create a a healthy colon environment too. They contain the fiber that feeds the, the aerobic, the beneficial bacteria in the colon. So you've got a good, uh, a good, healthy yeah. environment yeah. In there as well.
0: Thank you. This concludes the end of part one. Esther and I went for about two hours, and so I wanted to split this up into two different parts. So with that said, if you have any questions, you can comment below. If you're on YouTube, if you're on other platforms, you could send me a message, John Becker at FightGravity.org. Again, J-O-H-N-B-E-C-K-E-R at fightgravity.org I will also put Esther's info in the description so if you have a question you can reach out to her you know that'd probably be better anyway if you have like a technical question she's definitely more equipped to answer than me so I'll put that in don't be afraid to reach out to her and look forward to the second part the second part will go live about a week after this is published So, thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to listen. I'm really grateful for your patronage and support.